1: and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at six thirty PM. I'm glad you joined us today, because today I'm beginning to post a series of podcasts that are taken from the ordination service of Elder John Morgan Owens on May 14, 2022. I've already mentioned in a previous podcast that this weekend was the occasion of our hundred and seventy fifth anniversary at Zion Primitive Baptist Church. The church was constituted with seven charter members on may fifteenth, eighteen forty seven. We were blessed on our anniversary weekend to be able to ordain an elder to the work of the full gospel ministry. I'm sure many of you have attended the ordination of an elder in a primitive Baptist church, but in case you haven't, the format of an ordination goes somewhat like this. Someone prays an opening prayer, the ordained elders in attendance organize themselves into a presbytery where they can hear the questioning of the candidate as to his soundness in the faith and participate if they wish, and if the Presbytery is satisfied with the qualifications of the candidate, they will gather around him and lay hands on him, and someone will be appointed to pray the ordination prayer. After the ordination prayer, one or more ministers will give a charge to the newly ordained elder about what he can expect and what his duties will be as a minister of the gospel of the grace of God. I decided to include portions of the ordination service of Elder John Morgan Owens because, especially in the questioning, the foundational principles of the Primitive Baptist Church are set forth with clarity. Also, the charge by Elder David Crawford was one of the best I've ever heard. In today's post, you'll hear the opening prayer prayed by Elder Wayne Crocker of Hopewell Primitive Baptist Church in West Blockton, Alabama, followed by a short statement by Elder Buddy Abernathy, who is a member of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, that he made while questioning the spokesman of the church and concluding with the questioning of the candidate by Elder Tim McCool, pastor of Bethlehem Primitive Baptist Church in Ecole, Alabama. Over the next couple of days, I'll post more of this service, but I hope overall it will give you a sense of how important it is when we ordain someone to the work of the full gospel ministry. Because of the length of these posts, I'm not going to include the song but rather, we'll jump right into the ordination service. So, without further ado, here is the first portion of the ordination service, beginning with a prayer by Elder Wayne Crocker and followed by the questioning of Elder John Morgan Owens by Elder Tim McCool.
2: Our great and merciful Heavenly Father, we come to thee this afternoon thanking thee for the blessings of the day, thanking thee most of all for the hope that thou hast given us of our eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank thee for thy church, we thank thee for the stand that it is taken from the time thou hast organized it to this present moment of time. We thank thee, Lord, for the brethren who have come together to ordain this brother to the office of 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 gospel minister. And beg thee, Lord, uh, that thou would uh, be with uh, everything that is done this afternoon, that it might be to thy name's honor and to thy glory. Thank thee, Lord, that Thou hast called out, uh, Brother Mark, uh, John Morgan, to be a elder in thy church. Yes. There's a great work before him, O oh Lord, and we beg thee that Thou would sustain him as the days go by. Just bless again the proceedings that it might be to Thy name's honor and glory, and it might be upbuilding building to Thy cause and kingdom here in the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
0: Certainly a blessing to be here and I like brother Chris would like to say how much I appreciate So many visitors coming to be with us and as I look out across the crowd this may be the largest Attendance we've ever had at a meeting here. It looks like the building's About completely full and uh, we feel like the Lord has been with us so far and and that's the main thing in 2nd Timothy chapter 2 And uh, verse 24, Paul says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. If someone were to ask me what I felt like were the most dominant or noticeable characteristics of Brother John Morgan and Sister Meredith, I would have to say that they are gentle unto all men. Um, I've known them both for uh, over 10 years. And uh, that has been my observation. Brother John Morgan has never given me the impression that he would push himself on someone or promote himself as a minister. And Sister Meredith has always been very uh, gentle and talks in such a way that she fulfills what Paul said when he said, let your moderation be known unto all men, for the Lord is at hand. And I think that's just so important uh, that a minister be that way and also his wife to have that disposition. I've seen ministers that have brought great harm to their ministry by not being that way. And I've seen ministers' wives that uh, hurt their husband's ministry because they did not have that gentle spirit. Now having a gentle spirit doesn't mean that you compromise the truth and some people make the mistake of thinking that the only way to stand strong for the truth is just to blurt it out and say it like it is yet the Apostle Paul said we're to speak the truth in love. But I want you to notice here The servant of the Lord must not strive. The word strive there comes from a primary verb, which means to war. But here he's speaking of, we might say, a war of words. The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. And then here's the other thing I wanted to emphasize in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. As a gospel minister, we cannot give people repentance. We don't have the ability to convict them of their sin or to show them the error of their way Beyond what the Lord would enable us to do. It takes the Spirit of God to reveal and convict that His people might have a desire to repent. But notice this in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if peradventure God will give them repentance. Our responsibility as ministers is to remain, to continue to have that gentle spirit. To be meek and that's sort of the same idea when Paul said let your moderation be known unto all men. Now the idea there is I don't have the ability to move people the way the Spirit does but if the Lord is supporting what I'm doing and as long as we're preaching the Word and being faithful to Him We're looking to Him and His strength to accomplish things. So I want to say to Brother John Morgan and Sister Meredith, just meekly, quietly keep serving the Lord and doing what's right no matter what. There may be people that in spite of how hard you try, they will not see that quality in you. but know that there are many that do. So we're to be gentle unto all men in meekness instructing them that oppose themselves if if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth and that they may recover themselves. Notice that. You, You don't recover them. The Lord may use you to convict them, but ultimately we're each accountable to the Lord. They must recover themselves. And I just want to encourage you, as Paul said, keep yourselves pure from the blood of all men. Find your peace in knowing that if I honor God, he'll honor me.
1: At this time, I'm going to ask Brother John Morgan, if you would, to come have a seat here. And I'm going to ask Elder Tim McCool, if you would, to come and question the candidate at this time certainly appreciate the opportunity to stand before you and do
3: this brother just for the sake of everyone in attendance and listening we already know what John, brother John Morgan believes because we've studied with him we've preached with him we've heard him preach and this is for the purpose of having a public record of what he believes and so that is what we are doing here uh, we already know <laughs> what he believes and we Uh, rejoice in Him being able to state this to you. Uh, And we'll go through basically the Articles of Faith of this church which you already I'm sure most of you already heard this morning. In in Article 1 of the Articles of Faith that are now as of this day 175 years old. And of course we would say even beyond 175 years they didn't just bring these Articles of Faith out of a vacuum. They come from Uh, the historical beliefs of Baptists. And Article 1 says that the church here believes in one true and living God, and that those are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and that these three are one. Do you believe that? you affirm that you believe that?
4: Yes, I do affirm that I believe that uh, there is one true and living God. Uh, I believe we worship God here. Uh, and that He is uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. We read that uh 1 John 5, 7, which interestingly is not included in many modern translations, but it says that these three are one. It's a clear statement which is trying to you know, existence.
3: Amen. Article 2 says that we believe that the Scriptures of the Old and New Testament are the Word of God and the only rule of faith and practice. I might also point out that at that time Basically, the only translation of the Bible that was in existence, or at least was that well known, was the King James translation. Uh, so, many of the modern, more modern articles of faith speak of the King James translation. So, I would ask you uh, do you believe that the scriptures of the Old and New Testament, as represented in the King James translation of the Word of God, are the Word of God and the only rule of faith and practice? Do you believe that?
4: Yes, I do. I think that the idea that we have of uh, the King James Version uh, being the best version that we have uh, is, I believe, stated in, in Psalm 12, where it says that the Lord's words are pure words and they are uh, As Silver tried in a furnace of earth seven times, uh, and then he said that he would keep his words and preserve them from that generation forever. Uh, it would have been uh, contrary to that if the only version of the Bible preserved for hundreds of years, was not the correct version. So that's that's my uh, conscience behind standing on the King James Version. Uh, And also we read in 2 Timothy, I think it's 3.16, where it says that that the Word of God is everything we need to, to be thoroughly furnished in our heart for everything that we need. So there would be no need to look anywhere else besides the Word of God
3: in our faith and prayer. Amen. And along that line, um, historically, Baptists have used the Word of God as the only rule of faith and practice. And in that practice, uh, Baptists have said, if it's not in there, then we don't add it to the church or to anything that we do. Is that your understanding and your belief? Yes, that's my opinion. I've I've often said that the Word of God doesn't say that you can't attach a bar to your church and sell liquor, you know, from the side of your church. But that doesn't mean that we go and add a bar to the side of our church and sell liquor. That's correct. For the record, I do not it, want to do that. Yes, sir. <laughs> I, felt, I had a feeling you feel that way. And you could use that for many other the devices that are in the churches today that are programs and activities that are not in the Word of God, that they've been added by men. And that comes back to your belief that the King James translation is the best translation and the only rule of faith and practice. Is that correct? Absolutely. Uh, In Article 3 it says that we believe in the doctrine of election, predestination and the final perseverance of the saints through grace and that God chose His people in Christ before the world began. Do you believe that?
4: I do. I believe that's very clearly stated uh, in Ephesians 1 as well as Romans 8, and I expressed that this morning in the sermon, uh, that God before the foundation of the world uh, foreknew us, His people. Uh, not just praying the Baptists, but all of His elect children. Amen. Uh, and that He, not only did He foreknew us, but He elected us, uh, set our destiny, predestination to be in heaven and glory with Him, conformed to the image of, of Jesus Christ His Son. Um, and that in time He would apply His Spirit to us uh, in uh, the calling, of sanctification, and then we would be glorified as well.
3: You also believe that that number of the elect. Is a people out of every kindred, tribe, tongue, and nation. It's not a small number. Is that correct? Absolutely. Praise God. And I just note in the article of faith there from 1847, it speaks of the final perseverance of the saints through grace. And are you understand and aware that the word, that the phrase perseverance through grace is synonymous with preservation of the saints? Absolutely. At that time, yes, sir. Okay. Article 4 says that we believe in the doctrine of original sin and the impotency of man's recovery in and of himself from the fallen state in which he is in by nature. Uh, could you uh, elaborate on that a little bit in terms of uh, your belief on that?
4: Absolutely. Um, you know, as I preached this morning, tried to preach this morning, um, you know, we see in Romans 3 as well as Romans 5 uh, that not only am I condemned for my sins and the wages of sin is death, But also I was represented in the garden by Adam's sin. And so when he fell, I fell in sin as well and all all of humanity. And so because of that deadness, I have no ability. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, we think about that a lot. I have no ability to act in that realm to which I'm dead. And so it requires the miracle of God's grace uh, to save me from my deadness uh, so that then I can uh, walk in newness of life.
3: Amen. And I started this afternoon just to ask you one question. Do you still believe everything that you preached this morning? That would probably be enough. (laughs) Article 5 speaks of we believe that sinners are justified only in the sight of God by the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. There's basically three types of justification in the scripture. There's justification by faith, which has to do with the courtroom of my heart and feeling the presence of God. And then there's justification by works in which my brothers and my sisters around me see me and declare me just because they see my works. And then of all the three justifications, the most important being justification by grace, by the blood in the courtroom of heaven, in the eternal court. Tell us what you believe about how sinners are justified in the eternal sense.
4: Well, you know, previously stated, um, with us having no ability uh, in ourselves uh, to redeem ourselves, uh, the only way, the only righteousness I have is is through the imputed righteousness. We use that term, but essentially, Jesus Christ applying His blood to my case, to my debt. Amen. Uh, and and that's it. And, and I think that I believe it's First Peter. Uh, he says that for as much as you know that you're not redeemed by these corruptible things, as silver and gold received by the vain tradition of your fathers. That, you know, these works that we do are not able to redeem us, but the precious blood of Christ. That's Amen. our only hope and salvation.
3: Amen. Thank you, brother. Uh, and I believe you've covered in these articles the first two aspects of our uh, salvation, which has to do with God choosing a people, the Father's work. And then you've also spoken about the Son's work of, of taking our sins away by His, his um, sacrifice on the cross and His resurrection. Okay, the, the last... Uh, a part of our salvation, if you will, when it comes to Article 6, which speaks of being called and regenerated and sanctified by the Holy Ghost. Would you speak to uh, your understanding and your belief in regard to what that means?
4: Um, so at some, at some point in the life of a child of God, from conception to death, the Lord comes Himself through the Spirit and quickens them from death to life, as we spoke of this morning. Um, And that's an effectual calling, as I I spoke this morning from John 5, 25. I believe that is Himself. He doesn't delegate that to another. He comes to you in the new birth, and He calls you from death to life. Yes, I believe
3: that. Amen. And also it would be notable to point out that that operation of the Spirit directly like that does not involve the preaching of the gospel. Is that correct? That's correct. Preaching of the gospel is certainly of paramount importance, but it is not the the tool by which the Lord uses to born again His children. Is that correct? That's correct. And I believe um, you would agree with me. The examples of the scripture teach that from John the Baptist being born again in the womb of his mother to the thief on the cross being born again minutes before he died. No gospel was preached to them. Is that correct?
4: Yes. I'm glad you said that because I wanted to, and then it left my mind. Well, I was
3: trying to prompt you a little. Trying to help you out here, bro. I'm just yes, kidding. We have, <laughs> but yes, we have, we have examples
4: in scripture. Uh, you mentioned John the Baptist in his mother's womb, leapt for joy in the presence of Jesus. And of course, we know uh, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Amen. And so we have a, an example there of, of a what many people in today's society would not even consider life yet. Um, worshiping God in joy. And so we have hope. Uh, as, as Jesus taught Nicodemus in John 3, where He said, so is everyone that is born again. Every Everybody that's ever been born again and ever will be born again is born again through the operation of, of the Spirit of God and His grace. Amen. Apart Amen. from the Gospel, apart from work. So uh, if we see it in an infant, we see it in thief on the cross at the end of his life, uh, we have hope uh, that the Lord
3: uh, will get to his people wherever they are. Amen. Article 7 says that we believe that baptism and the Lord's Supper are the ordinances instituted by the Lord Jesus Christ, and true believers in Him are the only subjects Christ instituted these ordinances for. Do you believe that? I do believe that. And if you'd like to elaborate on any of the ordinances, feel free to.
4: I'll begin with uh, baptism. Uh, Baptism... uh, of course, Jesus was baptized by John, um, and then we were taught that uh, in, in 1 Peter again, that baptism, uh, he likened it unto the ark that saved Noah and his family. He says that it's not about the washing away of the filth of the flesh, so it's, it's not baptism that saves me from my sins, I'm not coming up out of the water without my sins, Mm-hmm. What it is is it's it's an answer of a good conscience toward God. Amen. So it's an opportunity for me, as a believer, uh, to identify with my Savior and being buried under the water as He was buried in the grave for me, and being raised up um, with Him and in, in, in glorification when He was raised up. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's uh, beyond that; it, it does nothing. Uh, To mystically take away my sins, but it is something that the Lord has given us and expects us to do—to identify with Him. Um, And then with the Lord's Supper uh, and Communion, um, (laughs) Jesus instituted that. He took He took part in the Last Passover, and then He instituted the Lord's Supper. And He said, "For us to do this in remembrance of Him." And he, He took the bread, He broke the bread, He took the wine, and He said, "This is My body. This is My blood." Uh, We're also told over in the New Testament, I forget the verse right now. Um, I think it's it's in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, uh, where uh, we're not to eat or drink unworthily. This is why we we practice uh, close communion, uh, because um, we don't want somebody with a different understanding of what God did for us taking a part in it, because He said the consequences are... You know, damnation to your to your body essentially. People were getting sick at that time. Uh, and what uh, what he said is, eating or drinking unworthily means not understanding the body of Christ. Right. So, coming to the Lord's table, we ought to understand that it was His broken body His blood that saved me from my sins. Period. That I'm not adding something to that. I believe that's what eating or drinking worthily would be, is when you come to the table and you uh, take part in that, remembering His work and, and relying solely on
3: His work, so, amen. That
4: was a little windy, but that's... Okay,
3: it. brother. It's yeah. a good answer. Amen. Uh, the, the last article here, Article 8 says, we believe in a resurrection of the dead and the general judgment and that the felicity of the righteous and the punishment of the wicked shall be in eternity, uh, shall be forever in eternity. Uh, do you believe that there will be a general resurrection of all of the dead? Uh, at, at when the Lord returns.
4: Yes, yes, there there is a heaven and there is a hell. Yes. There is there is eternal uh, joy for His people that are that are chosen in Christ, and then there is eternal uh, judgment for those that are judged in their works. We read that in various places. Uh, I think of John five off the top of my head, where he says the hour is coming when they that are in the graves will hear the voice. Uh, the lord and they will be uh, resurrected they that have done good unto heaven and they that have done uh, bad uh, to damnation of course we know that the only goodness that i've had the only good things that i've had are what has been imputed to me through christ amen so,
3: amen just a few more questions here uh, brother uh, and these kind of shift from the the actual doctrine to um, some questions that i believe are just as important as understanding what you will be teaching to god's people In 1 Corinthians 4 and 1, it describes the minister of the gospel as a steward, uh, somewhat like an accountant, uh, someone who is taking care of treasure. And I want to ask you, do you commit yourself to taking care of this treasure of truth that God has entrusted you with? And these men... Are entrusting you with when they lay hands on you? Are you committing before this body and before the Lord that you will that you will be a steward, a faithful steward of the truth? Absolutely, I, I
4: quake before that responsibility. Of course, me too. Um, but I would pour
3: up my life. Amen. I've heard it said that the true test of a of a pastor is not what he's doing on Sunday morning, which is. Some can be looked at as the easy stuff, but it is a test of the pastor and what he's doing on Tuesday (laughs) Where he is and what he's doing and so 2nd Timothy 2 and 3 Describes the minister as a soldier and of course we understand that a soldier fights And I'm asking you before this body and before this presbytery Are you willing to commit yourself at all costs and even to your own detriment at times your own personal detriment uh, to stand and fight for God's people and for the truth. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Mark 10 and 41 through 45, out of the words of our Lord, he describes in settling a dispute with the disciples, he describes what the minister looks like. And he says, but so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. And I ask you before this body and before this presbytery do you commit yourself to serve and that means to feed the sheep of God and to lay yourself down your thoughts, your emotions, your schedule, whatever it takes to lay yourself down and find that sweet rhythm and serving God's people in addition to the thousand other things that you have to do. I ask you do you commit yourself as a servant of God to do that?
4: Absolutely,
3: yes. And the last question I've, I've I've caught some flack for this last question a few times through the years, but I I ask it with no, uh, I speak it, ask it in love, and I ask it with no uh, reservation. Before this body and before this presbytery, do you affirm that if you ever change your viewpoint or your opinion or your uh, understanding of what you have affirmed here publicly? Do you promise for the sake of the peace of the church and the kingdom and the, and the growth of, of the sheep in grace, do you promise in front of all of these people and on this camera that if you do change that, will you just leave peacefully and not disturb the flock? Do you affirm that?
4: Yes, I do affirm. I, I love the people
3: Amen. far too much to disrupt the peace. Uh, I don't have any other questions. There might be, I would defer to the presbytery if anyone uh, has an additional question. The moderator.